Welcome to 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after life in prison. Come with us on a journey and explore stories from within the prison walls to outside the prison walls. All of these podcasts are dedicated to the victims of crime. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the podcast, 15 Alive. We're jumping right back into another interview. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing my friend, one of my best friends, and one of my former cellmates. We lived together for a couple of years in prison, um, and when we met, we were both lifers, and I got my sentence overturned. He had to do his whole sentence until he was found suitable. So without further ado, we're going to jump into this. My interview with Johnny Boy, Mr. John, and um, really pay attention. This is the part one, so this is going to be the pre-incarceration. A lot of people will be able to relate or maybe went down this road or maybe are going down this road. So pay attention. Let's go ahead and jump into it. All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of 15 to Life. We're doing more interviews. We're getting a bunch of them knocked out. I have the absolute pleasure of having John Salas on here with me. Um, Just a quick um, informative note. John and I were sellies for a long time, and then we did basically 10 years together my whole time uh, in prison. So uh, we've known each other for a minute. But real quick, so John, I met John, we were both lifers. Um, That's how we ended up being cellies. Um, There was a lifer building. And so we both ended up uh, selling up together after a few other cellies bouncing around and whatnot. Um, uh, We both had 15 to life, um, if I remember correctly. Um, Closed custody, all that fun stuff, which we'll get into a little bit later. But John grew up in California, Lemoore, California. Then he bounced up to Alameda, California, the island. Um, Military family, so bounced around a little bit. Eventually ended up in Stockton, and that's where things kind of went south on him. Um, But like most kids involved in sports and running around and playing sports, especially military bases and stuff as well, uh, baseball was his thing. And best believe we played a lot of, well, softball in prison. So uh, mixed nuts. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, John, t- tell us about kind of your childhood and what led you up to, to kind of that getting in with the wrong crowd and making some bad decisions that eventually wound you up in prison. All right, well, first of all, greetings from the Philippines. Uh, uh, so I was born, I was actually born in the Philippines, and then we came to the United States because my dad was in the U.S. Navy. And there was a treaty that allowed uh, my dad to bring his family, or our family, rather, uh, to the U.S. Uh, pretty much with no resistance from the government, uh, uh, with the minimum amount of paperwork getting us over there. And so from there, I left when I was uh, five years old. And we touched down in, I believe, at first it was Oxnard, and we, we made our way uh, to Lemoore. There's a Navy base in Lemoore, a Naval Air Station in Lemoore, where we stayed there for, I believe it was only about a year. And when I, like I said, when I got there, I was only five years old. So uh, was it much that I've done or remember in Lemoore? Uh, but about a year later, we, we moved again, because my dad was in the military, to Alameda. Naval Air Station Alameda. And we stayed there for roughly about five, five, six years, I think it was. 
and um, I I stayed there till about seventh grade, and that's where my uh, my love for sports, specifically baseball at the time, um, came to fruition. <laughs> and being that I was in Alameda, and the Oakland Coliseum is just right there, I mean for real, like every every home game I was there, especially especially like it's only like literally like 30, 30, 40 minutes away. I was there almost every home game. So from Alameda, uh, most of my time was spent just playing baseball. It was the Navy League, uh, just around, uh, literally just like right across the street from my house in Alameda. And I would play that uh, season after season. And in between that, I just hang out. I was collecting baseball cards, uh, playing baseball off season when there is no league and uh, hanging out with my friends in Alameda, you know, just walking around doing the usual uh, preteen, adolescent things that one would do. Uh, minus the, of course, that negative uh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but just a just a just a typical preteen, adolescent things that one would do growing up, you know, Alameda. And then again, again, my dad was transferred, but this time he was actually transferred to uh, Naval Air Station Moffitt Field. But we didn't move there though. Uh, we didn't move to Moffitt Field. We ended up moving to Stockton because we have uh, relatives in Stockton. And my dad was trying to transfer over to the Naval Communication Station uh, in Stockton, Rufford Ready Island in Stockton. So my dad would uh, my dad would work in Moffitt Field, but yet we lived in uh, Stockton. And then uh, Stockton, uh, I was actually still trying to get into the baseball game in high school, but I got in a car wreck. Um, I broke my shoulder, and then uh, I couldn't really, uh, I couldn't really practice or try out uh, for any any sports. And uh, then I, then of course I got I got family in Stockton. A lot of them are older than me, and a lot of them had cars. <laughs> and so being around that type, you know, you're you're young, you're 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 a teenager, and then having an access to someone that has a car, of course you you're gonna you gonna you're gonna take that opportunity and go where they go. And uh from there on, then you know, you start doing things that you're not supposed to do, you know, drinking, smoking. When I first started smoking, like when my friends would smoke. Uh, I'll take a hit. Didn't like it, but I was doing it because, of course, I thought it was cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll take a sip every now and then. And then eventually, uh, me asking for a hit of a cigarette ended up turning into two hits. That turned into three hits. Before you know it, I'm asking for a cigarette, smoking the cigarette. Before you know it, I'm, I'm buying my own pack. Like, damn. Right? Never thought that would happen, but it did. And same thing with the drinking, too. You know, taking a sip here, taking a sip there. And they would be like, man, that's not gonna do nothing, man. Because you know, but at the time it was like 40 ounces. 40 ounces, even had they even had 64 ounces, you know what I mean? So I don't remember like, those. <laughs> yeah, so they'd be like, hey, I'm like, hey, let me get a zip of that. They're like, man, that's not gonna do nothing, man. I said, we just get a zip, right? You know, give me a zip, right? And then that eventually turned to more sips. And then I buy my own bottle. Mm -hmm. That bottle turned into you know, an, an alcoholic you know, habit or a habit rather. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the smoking. Um, from there on, then as, you know, we started hanging out more, uh, we started doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing. But initially, though, we started up as a group that was just mostly, it was a party group. Mm -hmm. We started up as a party group. 
and then you know the more the more heads that we got the more parties that we went to and the deeper that we were and the more intimidated people were because of the the size of the group that we had of course it it, it pumped you up you know what i mean it made your head big so you walk into a party like you own this shit this ain't my party but we own this shit like we walk in the mall sometimes we're like 50 deep walking in the mall and, we and, were walking, and, and, and how old were you at this time that you're talking about i was like like 14, 14, 15, 16. I say more 15, 16, 15, 16, all the way till uh, 18. Like okay. just about turning 18. So then um, that that feeling of, you know, that power, that power you had walking through the mall, people, anybody that's walking in front of you, is, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to split. Like, like, you know, because you see all these Asians walking in a big ass group. Of course, they're going to get out the way. You know, that made you feel like untouchable, invincible. So um, from there on out, like we go to parties and then there'd be an occasional problem with somebody. And then um, from there, you know, we start, we start naming our group, right? Because since we're always together, one of my friends from San Francisco, I'm not going to mention his name or, or what set he's from, but he gave us a name. It was uh, SBS Side by Side because everywhere that we went we're always together and that that name but still though at the same time i mean it was still it was just still a party group uh but then we eventually started you know what man one of these days man we're gonna have a problem and then eventually we we acquired some guns people started packing guns and then i eventually started packing a gun and i still remember the first time i packed a gun and i was driving and then the police pulled pulled right next to me Man, I was shit bridged. I'm like, damn. I'm like, don't look, don't look, right? But then when he just drove away, it, 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 the next time around, it wasn't, you know, it, I wasn't as nervous because I got away. So I'm thinking if I could get away, like if I got away that time, I could always get away again. So the more, the more I got away with that, then the easier it was, the more comfortable it was to just hold that gun no matter where I went. You know, it was, it was no big deal. Police pull up, police pull up, well, even though I got a gun. But like I said, the more you get away, the easier it is to keep doing what you're doing, like what you're not supposed to be doing. Yeah. So from there on out, you know, uh, we started having problems because, you know, we had this, this feeling of you can't fuck with us, you can't touch us. So we go to the party with this, you know, with this mentality like, you know, you fuck with us, you fuck with everybody. You fuck with one of us, you fuck with everybody. And of course, I started having little problems. You know, we we got a few high-headed people in our in our group, and stuff like that. You know, little problems here, uh, people talking there. Uh, we used to get party fires back then. They used to have house parties. I don't know if they still do that or we, you know, these days, but back then they used to have party flyers where you know if you were somebody, you get a flyer, right? And then they used to put on there. All the people respect, you know, the shout outs to group sets, pe- individual people. And then there's then there's uh, there's a part and there were like uh, like uh, not invited, right? And, and they would have our actual our actual set, our actual our, our group or our gang rather. You're like no no SPS, no uh, no five eight five Yossi. You had a crew thing, uh, Yossi, right? Yossi party four or five one. And then when they said, when I get that flyer. Right, we'd be like, you know what, man? We still go. That gives you, you know, give that gives us the reason to 
to go even more because right. you don't want yeah. us over there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you got us fucked up. So, of course, we go there and we try to take over the party and shit. And shit happens. Uh, uh, little problems here, little scuffles here, little scuffles there. And, uh, you know, and then at, at some point, um, I would say the more we packed the gun, the more the more we went out and and the that level of intimidation that we put out there, then the more we started getting more like, you know what, let's take this shit to another level type of shit bullshit. You can't fuck with us. And uh, I don't know, maybe for some people, uh it it wasn't, you know, to me it was it wasn't really a game. But for some they were t- trying to take it to another level. I mean, um, getting tattoos and stuff like that. I don't have no tattoos of that. But at the same time, um, the lifestyle that we lived at the time was still that of a gang. Even though it right. started off as a party group, it was still that of a gang. Uh, however you want to look at it, it was the lifestyle of a gang. And then so uh, what happened was, of course, there was a party. Of course, there was a problem, an issue. And then... Uh, we were called upon. And we're the, we, you know, we we're the older, the elders of the, the group. And how old were you? I was. I I just turned eighteen. So so <laughs> just want everyone to understand. <laughs> they were the elders at eighteen. I, All right, I, go ahead. <laughs> I do. I just I just turned eighteen. So there's a party. You had a little issue. Uh, we went over there to go see what's up, and then uh, and then there was a confrontation. And then one of my friends, and then at that point, um, there was a shooting, then a homicide as, you know, as it, as it went down. And we are all, uh, they looked for us. You know, we were on the run. They all found us one by one. They picked us off the streets. And then from there on out, we got arrested, charged for uh, murder. And the rest is history. The rest so- is history. So let's talk about that because for anyone who's watching, uh, I think I think a lot of people don't understand um, and they don't get this right. Is uh, so how many of you were in the car when this happened? One, two. There was five of us in the car. With five, them. five of you, right? And did everybody shoot? No. So. Even though no, only there, only one. So even though there was one shooter, everyone got charged with murder, though. Every everybody got charged except for one, which was uh, a female in the car. Right, a female in the car. Yeah. So and and this is and, uh, but, I explain this to people a lot. I'm like, you know, um, when when uh, people don't get that, you don't have to do something. I mean, you could be a part of it. You could be uh, whatever, an enabler, whatever you want to call it. But if you're there and then you don't say anything, you don't do anything about it, you're you're just as guilty as everyone else that's, that's there, true. right? So, yeah. And, and people don't yeah, realize how true. many people are doing life sentences that because technically that. didn't hurt anybody, right? You know what I mean? So I just I just need to put that out there because I don't know how many lifers I've met that literally – didn't do anything to anyone they drove a car or they picked someone up or whatever and you know that that the rest is history right so anyway so you guys all get picked up you get charged 
now you're you're in county jail or whatever what 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 happens what's the process you got all these right. people getting charged with the same thing what what happens right so so they were they said that uh, I was being arrested for they have enough information uh to arrest me for for the homicide okay. and like how you talking about right so here's the thing um the location of where the shooting occurred and location where I was at were two different places. But like what you were talking about, it doesn't matter because uh, there was some involvement uh, prior to that. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, okay, you got me, you arrested me. But at the end of the day, the, the, you know, it's going to come out that where the shooting occurred, where I was at, I wasn't even there. Right. I had no knowledge. You know, and, and to me personally, that was like, okay, uh, this, I got this. I got this. But then, so when I got arrested, then they booked me in county jail. And then uh, the more the more I spoke to people that you know that knows the system, that's navigated through the system, uh, that knows the game, they're like, nah, man, they're gonna they're gonna book you, bro. Like, nah, they can't. I'm like, they can't. I'm not even there. They're like, bro, yes, they can. And I'm pretty sure they will. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, nah. And then, and I'm thinking too, right? I'm thinking too, right? Okay, because um, um, the, uh, because the one that actually did the shooting, he's the only one that took the stand, right? He's the only one that took the stand. He's the only one that testified. Uh, he he said his side of the story, why he did what he did, and of course he um, he said what he needed to say uh, to try to mitigate our involvement, right? Mm-hmm. Or minimize our involvement, right? But it didn't matter. It didn't matter because the testimony of other people, uh, it was it was more than enough to book us, even though. Uh, the location was there and I was physically elsewhere. Right. So they charged me with uh, first degree. They charged me with first degree murder. Um, but my jury instructions uh, included uh, lesser charges. I believe it was um, accessory, uh, mass slaughter, and they, and of course, second degree murder. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I was convicted of second degree murder because they, can, they couldn't prove that I had knowledge of what was going right. down, right? And which I thought was going to be enough for me to get acquitted, but um, it wasn't the case. Yeah, so I was eventually charged with second degree murder. Uh, the shooter uh, was charged with first degree murder because, of course, he took the stand. He admitted to it. He admitted to it. He admitted um, to what he did. Uh, he said that we had a knowledge of what he was going to do. And then uh, my other my other friend got. Uh, he got voluntary manslaughter. I believe it was voluntary manslaughter. And my and my other my other friend, he got same thing with me, second degree murder. And they appealed it, and they both went back to court, but me because my attorney didn't join in the motion that they filed. So the one that had second degree murder was actually reduced to a voluntary manslaughter in which he, he got out uh, like 11, 13 years later. Even the, even the shooter went back to court. So I was pissed. When I found out that my attorney didn't uh, join in the motion, man, I could have been back and I could have probably got manslaughter and could have got out, you know, 13 years later. But, you know, then I tried to look, I tried to look into that. And then I spoke to a couple of attorneys and said, it's too late. There's a statute of limitations. That's like saying... Um, someone someone breaks your car window right and then all of a sudden uh you're you want to you want to push that issue 10 years later you're like no it's, it's too late it's yeah. too late and, you should have done and, it at that time a special note to everyone listening and watching right um 
there is no statute of limitations on murder. So if they hadn't picked right. up John when they did, and they picked him up today, he'd still be going in for murder. But yeah. on the appeal side, there is a statute, which, eh, you know, don't get me wrong. I get it. If someone dies, yeah, that should be ongoing. But why isn't the appeal process the same way? Anyway, keep right. going. And, and, and on that note, too, right, I want to add on that you don't even need the body to be charged for murder. Nope, you don't. You don't, you don't even need the body. You don't they need the gun. You, don't need, you really That's don't true. need anything. <laughs> that's true because they don't they didn't even have the gun in our case and they still booked us that, that's they right brought, i remember you they, told me that yeah they, they brought a gun that looks like it right but <laughs> it wasn't the gun and then so um that it's pretty much if they want to book you they could book you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah because the law yeah. allows them to the law allows them. the law right allows and 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 at the end of the day um a lot of people have heard or or know about you know these uh police officers that have quotas for speeding tickets and parking tickets and all that. Like, I'm not going to say, cause I don't know for sure that detectives have quotas, but they want a conviction because then they, they get to close the case. Right. So yeah, they will push whatever they need to push to close the case out one way or the right. other. So yeah, they, they will. It's the truth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it always looks better when they can get a murder versus a manslaughter or an involuntary manslaughter or whatever. Yeah. yeah because they're gonna always go they're always gonna go for the top conviction. Oh always. Most definitely. Always. So and, okay, so you guys all get your, your sentencing. How long were you in county jail before you were convicted? Right. So I was in the county jail on February twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five. And then we went to trial, I believe it was October, and pretty much wrapped up right before Thanksgiving. Wow. So so I say about a month. I think Man. mid-October, mid-October to mid uh mid-November. And so did you guys up. just choose to do like speedy trial or what? Uh well we've been waiting since February. Right, because I was in there trial. two years before I went to trial. Yeah. Oh, for real? No, yeah. I think because you have, you have a right to speedy trial in. Yeah, you have a right to speedy. It's sixty. I believe it's sixty days, right? Yeah, it's sixty or ninety. I don't remember. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think yeah. it's sixty. Yeah. yeah, but there's a lot of po- a lot of postponing on on our part, the government yeah. part, or the people from the the people part, the people's part. Yeah. So we eventually went eventually went to trial in October. Got convicted. I think. It was right before Thanksgiving because I remember because we're thinking like, okay, you know what? The holidays are coming. We're young. Like, like the juries, the juries, it looks like the juries gonna be like, you know, it, like we can't, we can't keep these, these young men separated from their family. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking they're gonna be some kind of you know, some compassion or something, right? And, but that, that's just me being, you know, thinking uh, like just all about me, me, me. And what's and and for the people that's listening at the time, I want I want to tell, I want to show you how my what my mentality was at the time. Um, when I first got arrested, I I wanted to so badly get out to go back to the shit that I was doing. It's, I'm just being honest though, right? No, but thank you. I, I was going to bring that up a little bit later, but yeah, no, yeah. good. I'm glad it's you're sharing because, that. Yeah, that's crazy because. When I got locked up, all I kept thinking about what I missed was doing the shit that we were doing that landed me in that pos- that situation to begin with. And when I think about that now today, I was like, man, I was a stupid ass fucking 
young young youngsters, right? But of course, they were young. Um, so uh, from the convict from the conviction, uh, I remember because when they read the verdict, uh, my mom, the biggest family was on one side, our family was on the other side, and when they read that verdict, all our charge or the ones are what we were convicted of. Mm-hmm. I remember my mom. I looked at my mom, I could see him, they're crying, the victim's family's crying, but of course they're crying happy tears. Right, 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 right. Crying happy tears. Like, and on our side, they're crying because we're gonna about to go to prison for potentially the rest of our lives. Yeah. You know, these 18, these 18 year olds just got just got smacked with a life sentence. Yep. And and then that's when the journey began. We're like, damn. And what's crazy too is like, as soon as we were found guilty, right, they had to stand up and hurried up and escorted us out. Like, like we were some, you know, like big time criminals or something. Like, come on, man, you're doing too much. But I guess it's just protocol because it's, you know, family there, the victim's family there. Yeah. You don't yeah. know. They, so, but that's what it is on that part right there. So yeah, right before Thanksgiving, we're uh, we we're convicted. So the trial was about a month. All right. So you guys get convicted. How long from that day to you actually got shipped off to reception center in prison? Okay. So there were um, there were more hearings. There were more hearings um, after that. Of course, there was in the uh, there was the holidays, so the courts were closed. Wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had to wait. Uh, once all the motions and stuff was filed. Uh, we got a probation, probation report, mm-hmm. probation hearing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we, I, for me, I went off to prison on May 2, 1996. All right, everyone. That concludes the interview with Johnny. Um, as far as part one goes, it's a lot of stuff going on there, right? So getting involved with some of the wrong people, um, <clears throat> And uh, not even being the person who pulled the trigger but still got a murder out of it, right? So this is something I tell people a lot is that there's not enough education in um, uh, uh, what happens if you're uh, aware of a crime in any shape, form, or fashion, right? And I think that's why a lot of people get caught up uh, not saying that that John was innocent in any uh, shape, form, or fashion, but definitely um, maybe not as guilty as you would think. Anyway, I also think it's funny that you hear chickens and stuff in the background. Don't forget, he is in the Philippines. Um, At the end of this interview, you will learn more about that, but he was deported to the Philippines. So uh, literally chickens and everything running around. Um, and a little bit later, we will get this up on YouTube. So if you want to actually see where he's at, you'll be able to see it as well. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, um, download the podcast, uh, share it with your friends. We're trying to get awareness out there. Hope everyone is safe during these pandemic times. Love y'all. See you next time.